Growing up as a kid on welfare, growing up as a, as the child of a single mom, in fact, uh, a mother who wasn't even really my mother, because you know, native way, my uh, my mom was an alcoholic, and mom gave away all of her children to relatives, and. Uh, Gave me to my aunt who took me off the reservation, took me to Billings, Montana. And I was raised between Billings, Montana and Fort Belknap, Montana, which is a little reservation in north central Montana. Little reservation of Assiniboines. And if you don't know what an Assiniboine is, that's fine. You haven't missed anything there either. Assiniboine are Nakota. If you, uh, if you, if you know of the Sioux people, we are part of the Sioux Nation. The Sioux Nation, the, uh, within the Sioux, we have three, we, we have three dialects we have in the Siouan culture. There, there's the Lakota, which if you've ever seen Dances with Wolves, Shimani Tutanka Owachi, come on. Anybody ever seen Dances? Okay, that's, that's my wife's people, all right? She's a Lakota. And uh, so she's Lakota, so there's the Lakota, the Dakota, and the Nakota. And so we're Nakota. And uh, and so so she took me uh, off the off the res, took me to Billings, Montana. And my earliest memories are memories of smoke-filled barrooms, and seeing her beaten by whatever boyfriend she had at the time. We lived in the hotel rooms above the bars on Skid Row. And so when I was uh, when I was about five or six, we got off of Skid Row, and uh, and we got a house and. Uh, growing up, we didn't have much money. Like I said, we, I grew up on welfare, and there, there was food stamps. Uh, I would take food stamps to the store to buy candy. And uh, and so so as a young man, if I wanted money, I had to do something for money because I wasn't given money. And I had a I had a friend by the name of Tommy Lindell, and Tommy Lindell was a little German kid. With, with hair as blonde as it gets, blue eyes, fair skin, and he was one of the toughest kids in school. That's why I hung out with him. I'd get in trouble, he'd get me out. Hallelujah. And, uh, and so anyway, Tommy and I, there, we, we, would, we, would go, we would go and we would, we would go dumpster diving. How many of you know what that means? That means you see a dumpster and you dive in. And so we would go dumpster diving. We'd, 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 we'd go dumpster diving looking for pop bottles, looking for aluminum cans. Because there was, uh, there was a recycling center down the road and we knew we could get so much, so many pennies per bottle, so many pennies per pound for aluminum cans. And we would jump in the dumpster and we would, we would search around for any pop bottles or aluminum cans. It didn't matter what kind of cans it was as long as it was, it was aluminum. And I remember times we would, I would shake a bag and I, I could hear aluminum cans rattling together in there. And I would open up that bag and I would reach my hand in the junk. Hello. In the crud. In the filth, in the muck, in the mire, and I'd reach in there and I would feel a can that had been crumpled up and, and, and squished together and I'd grab that can and to me it was gold. Come on, somebody. Listen, that is re 
an aluminum can. They would re that was the redemption center down the road. I'm here to say that you are just like that old aluminum can that somebody used up, somebody threw away, somebody said there's no value in this, there's no worth, but Jesus knew there was value in your life. Hallelujah. Jesus knew although the world had thrown you away and you were in somebody's garbage can and there was all kinds of filth and muck and mire around you, Jesus jumped in your dumpster. He opened up the bag. He reached in all of your filth and he brought you out. Hallelujah. And what do they do with those aluminum cans? They melt them down and they turn them into something that's useful again. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God that our God is a redeeming God. He reaches down in our junk and he turns us around. He puts us through the fire and he makes something useful of that old man that somebody had thrown away. Oh my gosh, that'll preach, preachers. You take it and you preach it like it ought to be preached. Amen. So anyway, good morning. <laughs> How are you this morning? Great. You doing well? Yeah. I just figured I'd wake somebody up. Yeah. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, are you awake now? You awake now? Are you awake now? Well, good morning. My name is Dobie Weasel. As pastor said, I'm a son of boy from North Central Montana. I went hunting on my reservation this past year. We went elk hunting. And... Uh, I went to get my license, Tim, and I gave them my driver's license. She looked at my driver's license. She said, oh, you're 60. And I said, yep. And she said, you're an elder. And I said, I am. And she said, yeah, you're 60. You're an elder. You get your license for half price. And I wanted to say, no, no, no. I'll pay full price. Thank you. <laughs> the pride in me wants to say, no, I'm not an elder yet. But it's half price. I'll take it any way I can get it. Hallelujah. And so, uh, so I introduced myself, not as an elder, but as an elder. Because I think there's something in our culture, right? Yes. That respects somebody who has made it through a few storms. Made it through a few seasons. And this morning, we honor you. Those of you that are my age and older. There was one lady last night, I know I can't see her. She, she came up to me, she said, I used to go to Anchorage Native Assembly when I was a girl. And you were our preacher. And your hair was black. Are you here? I don't think she's here, but but Brother Mike here remembers that. It's been a few. It's been a few seasons ago, but that's okay. Hallelujah! It's good to be here. Good to be with you. And uh, this morning is going to be a little bit different. I'm a preacher by nature. Doesn't take much to get me excited. I love to preach because preaching is exclamation. Amen. And I love to, I love to preach because I love to exclaim. Here's the way it is. 
don't have to explain it to you. I just exclaim it to you. Here's the way it is. But I, over the years, I've, I've come to realize exclamation preaching is good. But we need not just exclamation. We need explanation. Don't just tell me what I need to do. Show me how to do it. Right? Don't just tell me that I need to love my wife. Show me how to love my wife. And if you teach me how to love my wife, then I can love my wife better than you just telling me that I need to love my wife. And the Holy Spirit is a teacher, right? He comes to lead us and guide us into all truth. And so I'm a preacher by nature, but I'm a teacher by necessity. I have found that to be true. And so this morning, um, I'm going to try to teach you a little bit. It's going to be different. I might offend you. I'm going to say some things, especially to you preachers, that you're going to look at me and you're going to go, he is lost his bearings. Because I think that for those of you that have been in ministry as long as Jeff and Steve, and Terry and myself and others, I don't want to, you young people, you don't even count. But no, I'm just, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But we, we, we were taught a certain way, right? And we were given a certain model. And unless we are shown another way, we will just assume that the way that we've been taught is the only way and the only right way. And I'm not saying it's the wrong way. I'm just saying there may be another way. Jesus said to the religious people, he said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? And it's hard to teach somebody something new if they think they know everything already. It's the old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Before we get into the word today, and, and, and if you'd like to, I just want to use Genesis 1.28 as a springboard from, for what I want to say, and again, uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of be meandering a little bit. It may it may it may feel like I really don't know where I'm going, but I do have an end goal. And it may take us a little while to get there, and it may take us around a few things, but we'll eventually get there because I know there's a meal at the end of this thing. Come on. Those of you that like to eat, turn to your neighbor and tell them I think he's talking about you now. Come on, how many of you like to eat? All right, all right, let's get out of here. Let's go eat something. Father, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for your presence. And God, Paul said, I have delivered unto you that which God gave unto me. Lord, we received of communion today. 
And Paul said, that which God gave to me, I've given unto you. And tonight, today, I pray that people would receive that which you have given to me. God, this is not my word. Just like it wasn't Paul's word. This is your word. And may it be received as such. In a spirit of meekness. May I give it and present it. And Lord God, in a spirit of openness, may we receive it. Even though we may not like it, and we may not understand it, and we may not agree with it. That's okay. You're not asking us to agree with it. Just to be open to it. And so God, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 How many of you really say amen? Amen. Amen. So be it. Amen. So be it. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna give you something that is so old that it's gonna seem like it's new. But it's really not new. Because the old preacher said, right? If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Have you heard that before? Yeah. And so what I'm giving you today isn't something new. It's something true. But it's so old, it seems like it's new. I, I was walking through the, through the airport the other day, and I saw a lady with bell bottoms. <laughs> I don't even remember bell bottoms. And I looked at her bell bottoms, and, 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 and it looked like she's wearing something new. This is a new fashion why nobody else had bell bottoms on, but she had bell bottoms on. But that's not a new fashion. That's an old fashion. And it's so old that now that she's wearing them, it looks like she's doing something new. And so that's kind of, kind of what we're talking about today. But before we do that, let me introduce somebody to you, okay? Uh, I think we've got a picture that Wyatt, I sent to you, and I know that you have. So I want to introduce to you my family, okay? This is, this is the Weasel Clan. These are my children and my grandchildren. And so let me introduce you to my family. This is my wife. Been married this year 40 years. Hallelujah. Come on. She deserves a medal. Amen. 40 years this year. Her name is Jamie. And uh, we have three children. The oldest is John. He's over on the left. John is married to Angel. John and Angel pastor Dream City Church in Omaha, Nebraska. They have, excuse me, they have four children. Jace is the oldest. He's 16. Isaiah is 15. Carter is 13. And Jewel is nine. And uh, these are these are what I call my these are what I call my blonde Indians. Come on, somebody. Because Mama has some strong genes. Hello. And so John and Angel, they've been married now for 17 years. And uh, they, they are our pastors. We, my wife and I attend Dream City Church. It's a church that we planted with uh, this couple uh, about 12 years ago. And so we turned the church over to them about five years ago. They're the lead pastors doing a great job. So proud of them. Over here is Jacob, his wife, Lauren, and their three children, Layton, Judah, and Isabel. And those are my Indian looking Indians. 
Come on. Hallelujah. I love them. Uh, Jacob is a trauma surgeon in Rapid City, South Dakota. So proud of him and what he's done. This is my daughter, Jordan. And this is our youngest granddaughter. Her name is Stella. And you can tell she's really enjoying herself in this picture. Hallelujah. <laughs> and can I say, I love these guys. I just am absolutely proud of them, love them, rejoice over them, thank God for them, and I love the old, but, 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 but how, many, how many grandparents do we have in this place? I really love these guys. Yeah. Right? In fact, I tell them, I said, I, I, I said, I love these guys more than I love you. Come on, grandparents. Amen. Why? Because those grandchildren, there's something about them, right? How many of you have grandchildren? Let me see. Oh, you, oh hallelujah. You understand what I'm talking about. How many of you don't have grandchildren, but you have children? Okay, put your hand down. How many of you have teenagers? Okay, look at, look at me, look at me. I know raising teenagers, there are times you want to tell them, as all of us have, especially as grandparents, We've told them, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> right? I mean, there, there, there were a few times I just wanted to go kill them and tell God I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> I'm sorry, sunshine. But, uh, but, 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 and, and, and here, here, look, if you're, if you're a parent, look at me, look at me. I just want to encourage you, want to give you a word of wisdom. Have mercy. <laughs> because better ones are coming. <laughs> Right? Uh, yes. uh, Come on, better ones are coming. Hallelujah. So just just, you know, just just, ask God to give you mercy and grace. And if you do, he will bless you on the back end. Hallelujah. And so these, these, these are my, these are my, this is my family. These are my children and my grandchildren. Now, uh, I say that to say, it was about six, five or six years ago. It's been a little while. In fact, it'll be six years ago in January. Because in January, what we do as a church is we fast and we pray for the first 21 days of every year. Some of you do that. In fact, a lot of churches do that. We're not unique in that fashion. We fast and pray the first 21 days, basically saying, God... What do you have for us this year? So we're in this time of fasting and prayer. And as we're fasting and praying, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm walking the auditorium, walking the sanctuary, and I'm just reading the word. And as I'm reading the word, I come to Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28 comes alive. The, 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 the spirit of revelation and illumination illuminates the scripture. How many have ever experienced that? Where God just, all of a sudden, it leaps off the page, smacks you in the face. And it's like, I've read that a hundred times, but I've never read that a hundred times. This is the first time that it really became a living word to me. And so it was Genesis 1.28, where God is speaking, you know the scripture, he's speaking to Adam and Eve, and as he's speaking to Adam and Eve, here's what he says. The Bible says, in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. I could stop there and preach on that. Mm. 
Male and female created he them. But I won't. Let's move on. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful. Some say fruitful. And multiply. Some say multiply. Replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish, over the fowl, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. As I'm reading this, verse 28, the word multiply. M-U-L-T-I-P-L-Y. The word multiply takes on life. And I think to myself, at that time, I've been serving Jesus for 37 years. It's been five years ago. I've been serving Jesus for 37 years. I've been in full-time ministry for 33 years. And Pastor Jeff, I, I think to myself, be fruitful and multiply. How many times have I multiplied myself? After the order of 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul says to Timothy, the things you've received of me, Timothy, I didn't put that together until just right now. <laughs> the things that you've received of me, Timothy, commit also to faithful men or women who shall in turn teach others also. And so in that one verse, right, we see four generations of believers. We see Paul, generation one, ministering to Timothy, generation two, ministering to faithful men, generation three, ministering to others also. And so I'm thinking to myself, God, how many Timothys do I have? After 33 years of full-time ministry, how many Timothys do I have? And I start counting them. And, and I'm, just, I'm, all, I'm just all by myself. I'm just with Jesus, right? This is just revelation. I'm hanging out with Jesus. Jesus drops this in my heart. And I just start thinking to myself, how many people, how many Timothys do I have? And so, Steve, I start, I start counting them. And as I start counting them, 33 years, I've got to have a few. than this many after 33 years and when that revelation comes and these guys up here are part of them because my best disciples you just saw right I start thinking to myself God I didn't learn how to do that we went to Bible college together. They taught me how to parse verbs. They taught me the difference between the Alpha and the Omega. They taught me Greek 1 and Greek 2. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. But I learned 
how to construct a sermon, and I learned how to uh, administrate a church, and I learned all of this stuff, but nobody taught me, Steve, that I needed to pour, learn how to pour my life into a man who then would pour their life into somebody else because God wanted me to multiply. I never saw that. Am I, am I off base? I mean, is this scripture? Be fruitful and multiply. Nobody taught me how to do that. And so I, 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 felt, a, I felt a myriad of emotions. I felt, I felt ashamed. I felt chagrin. I felt angry. I felt embarrassed. I felt repentance. And here's what I said. I said, I, I said God, if you're calling me to be fruitful and multiply, because that's the Old Testament, that's the Old Testament Great Commission. Right? Yeah. Old Testament speaks in pictures. New Testament speaks in principles. And so I'm looking at that. This is a physical representation of what Jesus said in Matthew 28. And so I said, God, if you're calling me to be fruitful and multiply and to multiply myself, because everything that God made reproduces. If it's healthy. Right? I mean, I mean, you go out into the, you, you go out into the, uh, on the tundra and you look at the grass growing on the tundra. Every one of those blades of grass, it has a seed in it and it multiplies. Those trees, they have seeds and they multiply. The seals multiply. The walrus multiply. The whales multiply. The moose multiply. The caribou multiply. One becomes two. Two becomes four. Four becomes eight. eight be and so you can have a, 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 a herd of caribou thousands strong. And just watch them. Should I take that one? Oh, that one. <laughs> Look at that one. Oh, there are so many. Because God's a God of multiplication. But, if, if, and if, let me just say, we are born to reproduce. We are born to have offspring. And just like in the natural, God wants us to do in the spirit. Right? But, but, but there are things that will prohibit me from multiplying. God made it that way. God made it to where... I'm not going to use you, son. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, God made it. God made it to where this young lady over here, she can't reproduce. Right? And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about... Your, we can't reproduce if we're immature. There, we have to be a certain level of maturity. If we're going to reproduce. Pastor. If reproduction. Is an indication of maturity. I know some people. Who think they're mature. Because they know the scripture. Because they taught Sunday school for 30 years. 
Because they can argue your message in their mind as you're preaching and they can say, I don't know if he's right. I need to check it out because I think I know better than the preacher does. And so so in their mind, they argue whether or not the truth that you're preaching is right because they've seen pastors come and they've seen them go. They've heard sermon after sermon after sermon. They've taught the scripture. They've been in this thing for 50 years and they've taught the scripture, but they've never reproduced one other believer and they think they're mature because they know it all, but they've never done anything about it. I'm sorry, but it's true. If, 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 if multiplication and reproduction is the litmus test of spiritual maturity, I know a lot of old Christians that are still babies. The Apostle Paul said, he, well, the writer to the Hebrews, he said, he, he, said uh, he, he said, you've been saved a long time, but you're still immature. And so, 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 so maturity, I, I think, I, I think, I think the, the reason, I mean, if, if God's called us to reproduce, the reasons we don't are immaturity or lack of intimacy. The reason you're here, sunshine. I don't want to embarrass mama and daddy. But we all know why you're here. Uh, come on. I mean, our sister just walked in and yeah, I'm sorry, I don't mean to point you out, but you came in just at the right time. Hallelujah. I love, oh, look at this. Look at this. How you doing, sweetheart? You know why you're here? Huh? You're smiling. You know why you're here? Because mama and daddy were intimate. Yeah, look at look at that smile. Uh-huh. And, and 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 hey, 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 everybody is smiling. It's a good thing. Hallelujah. But there has to be an intimacy, right? Yes. If there's no intimacy with God, we're never going to reproduce. When we get intimate with God, there's a natural something that comes over us. There's a natural burden. There's a natural passion for the lost. Why? Because when we hang out with somebody, we get interested in what they're interested in. We get passionate about what they're passionate about. And God is passionate about the lost. And God wants us to reach those that are on their way to a dying hell. And we, and, and, and we will never reproduce if we don't hang out with God. And we might say we're hanging out with God, but if we're really hanging out with God, it will come out in reproduction. I told you it's going to be different. So lack of intimacy. Immaturity. Impotency. If we don't have the power to reproduce, we can never reproduce. And just like there are some people who cannot reproduce, and I don't want to, I don't want to make anybody feel bad if you're if you're seeking to have children and there's something that's prohibiting you from having that child, and you're going to fertility doctors and they are trying to help you in these 
issues. I don't want you to feel bad at all, please. I'm just drawing an analogy. And Dawson Trotman, the man who's the grandfather of discipleship in the kingdom of God in modern day, he's the one that actually, he's the one that actually taught on these principles. And he said, impotency in the kingdom is due to a sin in our lives that prohibits us from, and, 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 so, and so these are some of the things that will, that, that will hinder us from reproduction, but God wants everybody to reproduce. God wants you to reproduce. And this is the key. This is the key. I love the camp meeting. I love to preach. I love to do to do what I've been doing. I've been doing it now for 40 years. Somebody say, wow. Come on, everybody say, wow. Look at me and somebody say, you're old. But now say, but you still look good. I've been doing it a long time. And I preached every camp meeting. And I preached, I've conducted seminars. We've done conferences. I've, I've crisscrossed North America. I preached everywhere from, 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 from Barrow to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. From Quebec to California. I put on literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles because uh, they, they came out with a statistic and I, and, and I wanna, God help me remember, it was the US Center for World Missions about 30 years ago, Steve, they came out with a statistic that said there are three and a half million native people in North America, less than 3% are born again. And when I heard that statistic, I said, God, that's not acceptable. And if we're going to reach native people because God's not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. God does not want, want one Inuit. God does not want you, one you pick. God does not want, want one a son of boy. God does not want, not want one a Nakota. God does not want Cheyenne. God does not want, want one Navajo. God does not want one of those people to die and go to a devil's hell. But 97% of them are dying and going to a devil's hell. And the people that can best reach them are people that look like them. Please forgive me. If you don't look like me, and you don't look like her, and you don't look like him, but you and I both know that there are people out there that don't know Jesus, that, that if, if you come to them, all of this is down. Simply because you look like them. When I go to a place and they say, they say, so what's your name? Dolby Weasel. Hello. They go, oh, you're native. And all of a sudden, they're open. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to jump through any hoops. I asked myself, I asked God years ago, God, why did you make me weasel? Come on, if you had the last name weasel, you'd be asking God the same thing. God, why? 
My great grandfather, his name was Intugas Aheyuke, which means little fighting, little fierce fighting animal. That's what it means. Little fierce fighting animal. Yeah. So they went to the superintendent, the Bureau of Indian Education superintendent that came to establish my reservation, and he said, what's your name? And to this, I hate you, Kay. What does that mean? Little fierce fighting animal. And this man from Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, somebody. He thought, huh, little fierce fighting animal. Weasel. <laughs> Why not Badger? How about Wolverine, dude? Come on, don't be Wolverine. That would be cool. Yeah. Best he could come up with was Weasel. Thank God he didn't come up with, like, Muskrat or something like that. Excuse me, maybe your name's Muskrat. Please forgive me. And so, and, and, and so we, we, as we look at this, I mean, they didn't teach me how to do that. I'm, hopefully I didn't. But, but, but here's what I did. Here's what I did. I just, I just said, God, if, there are th if, 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 if that was three and a half million native people 30 years ago, you know how many there are now? Seven and a half million. Seven and a half million native people in North America, still yet, U.S. Center for World Mission says somewhere between three and five percent are born again. There are 18 unreached people groups in the United States which are native. There are 32 unreached people groups, according to unreachedpeoplegroups.org. There are 32 unreached people groups in North America, 32, 18 of which are native, five of which were in Alaska. And we're trying to reach them, Terry. But last I checked, we're not doing a real good job. I mean, I'm not saying we're not trying hard. I'm not saying we're not putting our best effort forward, our best foot forward. I'm just saying maybe our methods aren't working. Am, am, I, am, I, am I wrong? No. If God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. If we continue to do what, Pastor Jimmy? If we continue to do what we've always done, we're always going to get what we've always had. Amen. And in order to get what we've never had, we've got to be willing to do what we've never done. And I thank God for the 3% that come to our churches, for the 3% that pray to Jesus, for the 3% that want to serve God. I thank God for the 3%. And, 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 and please, I love the 3%, but give me the 97%. At least give me, give me another 10% of the 97%. Because if I die and, 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 and there are still 97% of native people that are on their way to a devil's hell, I'll probably die a miserable man. Because you have done everything you can. And I've done everything I can. And this church has done everything they can. And this man and this woman are doing everything they can. And I thank God that he's raising up another generation that has a burden and a passion for native people. That look out and they realize it's not 10% that God wants saved. It's not 30% that God wants saved. It's not even 70% that God wants saved. It's 100%.
That's who I shoot for. That's who we need to shoot for. That none should perish. But that all should come to repentance. So how are we going to do it? Can I give you a... Can I give you just what, what I feel God has revealed? So, so, so... I just started knocking on doors. <laughs> teach me how to do ministry like Jesus did ministry because thank God for my Bible college and thank God I thank God that it was there because it was a place that I needed to go to and it gave me a structure to where I, I was able to get out of my old structure and it gave me discipline and it gave me focus and it gave me purpose and it was there and it was good But it taught me how to do ministry in a certain paradigm. And when I look at the paradigm that I was taught, thank, I thank God for it, but I'm not sure it was the paradigm that the Bible brings forth. And I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. But when I read what the Bible says and how Jesus did ministry, and listen, Jesus could have done ministry any way that he wanted to because he was the son of God. Amen. Jesus could have come and he could have created a sound system yeah. and lights and a building out of nowhere. In fact, he could have came and he could have said to the religious people, move over, I'm here, I'm taking over the synagogue. But Jesus didn't look for synagogues and Jesus didn't do, I'm not against lights, I'm not against sound systems, I'm not against all the stuff that we think we need in order to do ministry. Jesus didn't have any of the stuff we have and yet he changed the world. And Jesus turned it over to 12 people who were really misfits. Come on, they were worse than us. They were more pitiful than you and me. Because they were outcasts in their own society. They didn't have any influence. They didn't have any money. They didn't have anything. They didn't have a denomination that they could go to. And yet they changed the world. You know what that says to me? If they did it, we can do it. You can change the world. You can change the world. Dawson Trotman said this. He said, if one man would find another man, if he would pray, if he would fast, if he would say, God, lead me to a person that you are working on. Lead me to somebody that you, that there is a Rahab in every Jericho. Does that make sense to you? There's a Rahab in Nome. There's somebody right now that God is working on. We don't even know her name or his name, but there is, there is something called the prevenient grace of God right now that's happening in somebody's heart. You know what the prevenient grace of God? Theologians say the prevenient grace of God is the grace of God that works in your heart pre-event. If the event is salvation, there is a pre-event grace 
working on somebody's heart. Right. How many remember the pre-event grace? You lay your head down on, on, on your pillow at night and you knew there was a God that saw you, that there was a hell to, 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 to avoid, there was a heaven to gain, and it was so much in your heart and you just couldn't wait for somebody to tell you about the truth so that you could get saved. What was it? The Holy Spirit was knocking on your heart. The Holy Spirit was making eternity real to you so that when somebody came, you were like Rahab. What do I need to do? Am I, is, is this? Yeah. So there's a pre-event. There's a prevenient grace of God right now. It's taking place in somebody's heart. It's, it's taking place in somebody's heart in Nome. Somebody's heart in Bethel. Somebody's heart in Emonic. Alakanak. Amen. What, what was that word? Ah. Shurakaramama. They're speaking in tongues over here. I just. But there, but there he is, right? And here's what he said. If you will begin to pray, God, who? See, the Bible says that Jesus brought his the 70, right? Luke chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. Jesus brought the 70, and he said, Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And, and, and because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, as they prayed, who was going to go? They were. So when you pray for somebody, you need to realize you're probably the one you're praying for. You're the prayer, but you're also the goer. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He said, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. And as he sent them forth, they went and they were to go. Don't, don't take a don't, don't worry about don't worry about your script. Don't worry about your purse. Don't talk to anybody along the way. Why? He's saying, don't get distracted. He's saying, don't worry about, don't worry about your, your resources. It's not about how much money you have in your purse. It's not, about, it's not about if the denomination is backing us up. It's not about all of that stuff. God is going, and here's what he said. He, the scripture says that he, he, he sent them to places that he himself was about to come. Jesus is getting ready to come to Uniclean. Jesus is getting ready to come to Bethel. Jesus is getting ready to come to Shukamamakai. Jesus is getting ready to come. He's getting ready to come to your village. Hallelujah. He's getting ready to come to your family. He's getting ready to come. So God has a strategy. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And God has Alaska in his sights. God's got you scoped out. I don't care. I don't care. There's some, some people in your village that say, God's not going to get me. <laughs> He's got you in his sights. <laughs> How many of you, Jesus hunted you down? You didn't want to have anything to do with God. You thought that that was a white man's God. You thought that that Bible was just a bunch of nonsense. But what did he do? He had you in his sights. He 
was good and he hunted. Listen, Jesus knows how to hunt weasel. Yeah. <laughs> he hunted me down. I ran from God. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I love smoking my weed. I love drinking. I love partying. But every time I went to a party, the Holy Ghost went too. And he made it miserable. I'd get drunk. And I'd be thinking, what if I die and go to hell? Where am I going to go? Come on, somebody. And so, and so, and so, so, I started knocking on doors. Somebody teach me how to make disciples. I don't know how to do that. Please help me. And so I went to, I went to this one place. It's called, it's called Sun Life. It's a place in Florida. They said, let us teach you how to make disciples. And they said, there are four chairs that we sit in. Right? There are four chairs. Can you help me with that chair? I'm just going to thank you. Thank you, Pastor. And they said, there are four chairs. The first chair is a kind of high for a weasel. I can't lower it, can I? Oh, my Jesus. But this is the chair of the unbeliever. We're all at one time in this chair. Right? And so many pastors, so much of our church activity is to get people from the chair of the unbeliever to the chair of the believer. We want to get them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And rightfully so. And all of us, we remember when we were here. And Jesus was drawing us here. And some of us, we had one cheek in. <laughs> we had one cheek in and one cheek out. We'd go to church, but then we'd live like the world. But thank God he convicted us. And, and, and eventually we got out of this chair and we got into this chair. How many of you glad, glad you got into this chair? Praise God you're in this chair. See, see, some of you, some of you think you're in this chair, but you still might be in this chair. If you're in this chair, get out of this chair into this chair. But hey, look, 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 this chair isn't enough. Most pastors, we want to get people out of this chair into this chair. And we, we wish this chair was right here. We wish it was easier to get people out of the chair of the believer into the chair of the mature believer. Praise God for tithing now. <laughs> Praise God they, split, they quit cussing. Praise God they come to church on time. <laughs> Praise God, they stopped beating up their husbands. 
You thought I was going to say wives, didn't you? That was funny. I don't care who you are. Man, God just, 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 God just work on them. I'm tired of pastoring a spiritual nursery. For God's sake, let them grow up. I'm just being a pastor right now. And we think, here's what we think as pastors, man. If we could just get them in this chair, my work would be so much easier. Hallelujah. And we think this is the ultimate. I just want to have mature believers. I just want to have people who will tithe, people who come to church, people who will witness, people who will help me teach, people who will usher in the church. I just want mature believers. I just want people to grow up and be like Jesus. But that was never God's intention. It's not enough for you, sunshine, just to grow up. Not enough for you just to get out of the house. It's not enough for you just to go to college. It's not enough for you just to get a job. It's not enough. One of these days, you're going to find Miss America. Come on, somebody. And I guarantee you, I know mom and dad love you. They're proud of you. I would be, I am proud of you. I, I'm not even your, your grandpa and I'm proud of you because you're sunshine. But I guarantee you. When you find that girl and when you say I do and you are, they're going to come to you and they're going to say. Where are they? You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the better ones than you. Right? Come on, grandparents. Right? Because we all. And so. And, and, and so. <laughs> And so here's the thing. It's not enough to get out of the chair of the unbeliever to the chair of the believer from the chair of the believer to the chair of the mature believer. God wants you to get to the chair of the multiplying believer. Where it's not just about you. But it's about your disciples. Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's talking about relationship. Relationship with the Father, relationship with the Son, relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not talking of, I mean, yeah, we get people wet, but it's more than getting people wet. It's baptizing them, immersing them into a relationship with a father in heaven, with a son who died for them, and with a spirit who will lead them and guide them into all truth. It's more than just getting somebody wet. It's baptizing them into a relationship. All authority. Is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the ends of the earth. I'm going to get myself in trouble right here. I'm going to offend somebody. But if you can tell me I'm wrong, please, please, that's fine. I, I'm not here to be right. 
But Jesus, I don't even know if I should say this. Jesus didn't. You know, I love you. And you know I love you. But Jesus didn't say go into all the world and plant churches. I'm sorry. He said go into all the world and make disciples. Here's what we did. We said if we plant churches, those churches will make disciples. They will bring in the lost. And they gave us statistics and said, for every church we plant, these many new people come into the kingdom, and that's great. But we got the cart before the horse. And we said, if we plant churches, we'll make disciples. And we read the New Testament, they didn't plant churches to make disciples. They made disciples who planted churches. I told you I'm going to get myself in trouble. But it's true. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Here's my question. Where are your disciples? Come on. They're coming. They're coming. I love bananas. It's getting way too heavy in here. Do you like bananas? <laughs> Tell me yes. <laughs> I love bananas. What's your name? Penny. Huh? Penny. She almost forgot her name. <laughs> Just kidding, Penny. I know my old ears. Sister Penny. Right? Penny, I love bananas. Penny, let's say I come to you and I say, Penny, my sister, I have what we call down south a hankering, which means a desire. I have a hankering for a banana. Would you go to Hanson's? Hanson's? And get me a banana, please? Get, get, me, a, get me a bunch of bananas. And let's say Sister Penny goes to, goes to Hanson's and she goes to the produce department and she's looking around and she sees the bananas. And as she's going to see the bananas, she comes across a bag of little orange cuties. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you like cuties? I love cuties. They're great. And so let's say, and I'm just picking on you, and, and I know you wouldn't do this, but let's say you go in, you're looking for bananas, you see the cuties, and you go, I bet Brother Dobie would love some cuties. And so you grab the cuties, you come back, and you say, I, 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 Pastor, I want to bless you. Here are some cuties that are so delicious. They're so ripe. They're so, they're so juicy. You will love them. And I look at them, and I go, oh, I love cuties. But I didn't ask for cuties. Penny, would you please go to Hanson's and get me a banana? And so Penny goes back to Hanson's and she's looking around and she sees some gala apples. And it's like, oh, I love gala apples. And so she gets me a gala apple and she comes back and she says, Pastor, here's a gala apple. And, and, and I know they're juicy. I know you love them. And I'll look at that and I'll say, I'll say, thank you for the apple. I have an opportunity to lead you to Christ. Will you help me, please? 
Listen, most of us would do this. Pastor? Pastor, come here. I have a hot one. I want you to lead her to Jesus. Pray for her, Pastor. Hallelujah. Because that's the pastor's job. Because God has called the pastor to make disciples. He hasn't called me to make disciples because I didn't go to Bible college and I don't have the expertise and I'm not equipped to make disciples. No, 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 no. God called you to make disciples. He called all of us to make disciples. And so, and so, and so, and so, pastor has equipped me. And I've prayed. And God has led me to Penny. And I've led Jesus to Penny, I mean Penny to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus to Penny and Penny to Jesus. Hallelujah. And so I prayed with Penny. And I said, and here's what I said. I said, Penny, this is not about becoming a Christian. Because Jesus didn't call you to be a Christian. Can we just get biblical? The Bible never calls you to be a Christian. Let's just stay biblical. Three times in the New Testament, it refers to us as Christians. And two of those times, it's not even the church calling themselves Christians. It's Agrippa who looks at Paul and says, Paul, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Uh And then it says they called them Christians in Antioch. But it's only Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 that refers to us as Christians. You can't build a doctrine on one verse. It calls us Christians. I know. I told you I was going to make you mad. I was going to make you think that I'm crazy. It only calls us Christians, Jeff. And I know I'm, 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 I know that I am splitting theological hairs. But I think there's enough evidence in the scripture that warrants us re-examining. Where'd you go? <laughs> Get back up here. Are you? Come on. She will never sit on the front row again. Thank you. I mean that. I will pay you when we're done. Only once. In the Bible. Does it call us Christians? You know how many times it calls you disciples? 296. If you went to a New Testament believer and you said, oh, you're a Christian, they'd look at you like, what? They'd say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. Why? Because discipleship, you can be more happy. Go ahead, go ahead, Penny. I'll let you rest. But don't leave. Be 
Because we're not done. We forget that Jesus was a rabbi. Now this is important. Because they came to Jesus and they said, Rabbi, where do you live? Nicodemus came to Jesus and they said, Rabbi, we know that you come from God because nobody can do the miracles that you do. Back in those days, discipleship was not something new. Discipleship, I mean, it took place in the Greek culture, right? With Socrates and Plato and those guys. I mean, they had already developed this, this culture of discipleship. And Jesus being a rabbi, they came to him and they said, teacher, where do you live? Now, as disciples, when Jesus said, come follow me, that was the rabbinical call for discipleship. Follow me. There were five characteristics, five expectations of a disciple in the culture. Number one, as a disciple, five things. First of all, complete and total commitment. Complete and total surrender. If you're going to follow a rabbi, you had to lay it all on the table right now. You couldn't hold anything back. It was full surrender to him. That's why Jesus said, when the guy said, let me bury my, 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 my daddy. That's why when the guy said, I, I, I'm going to get married. He said, he said, no, 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 just stay where you're at. Because it's complete and total surrender. Number one. Number two, you had to remember, you had to memorize the rabbi's words. That's why the disciples could tell you what Jesus said. That's why, that's, why, that's why Matthew could write down, and seeing the multitude, he went into the mountains. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And he could tell you exactly what Jesus said. Why? Because he had memorized. And this was not something Jesus did just once. The Bible says, as the disciples came on there, he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. And in the Greek, he opened his mouth and taught them. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual teaching. He opened his mouth as was his custom. He taught them these things. And so they would memorize the rabbi's words. It was complete and total commitment. Number three, they would understand the rabbi's interpretations. It wasn't enough just to memorize the rabbi's words. They had to understand the rabbi's interpretations. That's why Jesus would say things like, you have heard it have been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that you resist not evil. Whosoever smites thee on the right cheek, turn him the other also. You've heard that have been said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her head. Well, he, was, you know, he was giving them his interpretation, which went deeper than that. He took them to a place of grace. He took them from religious, lawful obedience to a place of grace, because grace always takes us to a higher place. I'm not just, I'm not just loving my brother but I'm loving my brother in a higher way does that make sense 
I'm, 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 I'm almost done. So five characteristics, five expectations of a disciple. Number one, complete and total obedience. Number two, memorize the master's words. Number three, understand the rabbi's interpretations. Number four, emulate the rabbi. Does the rabbi walk like this? All his disciples following him would walk like this. True. And the rabbi, when he was teaching, would take his hair. Come on. They, when they were teaching, would take their hair, even if they didn't have any. They would emulate. That's why Peter said, Lord, is that you? If it is you, tell me to come out on the water. Why? You're my rabbi. I'm your disciple. I ought to be able to do what you do. And so if it's really you, tell me to come out there because I am going to emulate my rabbi. It was deeper than what we think. And the last one, the last one, and this is it. Complete obedience. Memorize the rabbi's words. Understand the rabbi's interpretations. Emulate the rabbi. And if you were going to be a real disciple, you had to make your own disciples. And it wasn't until you made your own disciples that you became a true disciple. So I ask again, are you disciples? And if you are, we are disciples. And I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm just here to point out this glaring fact that we have forgotten about what it's really all about. And we've made it about Sunday morning between 10 and 12 and about preaching a good sermon and about, uh, about lifting up men and making heroes of men and about building somebody's kingdom. And I don't even know if it's God's kingdom. And we got preachers with sneakers. And we've got all this stuff going on. And we've forgotten about what it's all about. Because yeah. here's the thing. There are seven and a half million native people on their way to a devil's hell. And God wants them all to be saved. And so hallelujah. Pastor Austin is going to get it done. <laughs> All by himself. Him and Jennifer. Go, Pastor. We're behind you. We'll pray for you, Pastor Tim. Go get him. I'll sit on the sidelines and cheer you on. It'll never happen. If it could happen, it would have happened. Because I preached enough sermons to save China. And still 97% of native people are on their way to a devil's hell. So let me show you the wisdom of Jesus. How did Jesus do ministry? He found 12 guys. He didn't need a building. He didn't need a denomination to back him up. Not against denominations. He didn't need 
lights. He didn't need a sound system. He, he didn't need a bus. Come on, I'm a, I was an evangelist. I thought I needed a bus. It's a long time ago. And I bought one, and it was the biggest mistake I ever made. All right, are you ready? We're going to do this. Hallelujah. Look at the smile on her face. Oh, Penny. Penny, I'm so glad you came to Jesus. I'm so glad God led me to you. But Penny, again, God didn't call you to be a Christian. He called you to be a disciple. A follower of Christ. Which means to follow what he did. To be like him. And so, so, so Penny, I want to teach you. Just me. I'm not going to turn you over to this guy over here. Because he'll probably mess you up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He won't, he won't mess you up. I just want to see if they were listening. No, it's not about turning it over. It's not about, it's not about the, 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 the college educated. Nothing wrong with that. But we think that it's all. If, if I could just have my credentials, then I can make disciples. I can do ministry. It's not about credentials. It's about being filled with the Spirit. It's about bringing the Word of God to somebody else and teaching them how to serve Jesus like I serve Jesus. And it's not even about you having a congregation someday. Do you know who your congregation is? Your children? Your mother? Because that's your network is your, your, your household. Because it's always been about your household. It was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household. It was the Philippian jailer in his household. It was Lydia, the seller of purple, and her household. It was Cornelius and his household. And we look at the pattern of scripture, and it was always about them and their house. Why? Because it's a household that sees the change in your life. And here's what we have practiced for generations. We have practiced extraction evangelism. I'm going to lead them to Jesus, and I'm going to send them to Bible college. And I'm going to pull them out of their family. And the family is going to be standing back here going, where'd she go? Wow. Wow. Forgive me. I'm just going to keep it real. But those white people have done it again. They stole our children. They led them to Jesus and they took them away from us. And he's been in Bible college for four years. And when he comes back, I don't recognize him. Just like the boarding school, I don't recognize him. He's not speaking my language anymore. And I don't even know who he is anymore. And now he's gone. And he's doing some ministry in New Mexico. And he's gone for 20 years and 30 years and 40 years. And he doesn't even know his family anymore. Because he's, we've extracted him. And that's exactly what happened to me. My pastor got me saved and sent me to Bible college. I'm glad he did. But I've got family members who are in Indian religion because their, 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 their brother and their uncle, he's been out trying to win the world, but he's lost contact with his people. God help us. 
Is this the right way? I don't know. I don't. Were the motives right? I think so. Was the method wrong? Maybe. But here's the thing, Penny. I'm not. I didn't lead you to Jesus to take you out. I led you to Jesus so I could pour in. And you could pour in. Because your best disciples are going to be the people that are around you. It's your oikos. It's your household. It's your network. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pour into you, Penny. Because Jesus didn't call you to be a Christian. He called you to be a follower. And as a follower of Christ, you do what he did. And what did he do? He made disciples. And you can make disciples too. It's not that hard. I'm going to teach you how to study the Bible. I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to reach out to your family. I'm going to teach you how to make disciples on one condition. When we're done, you do it with somebody else. Would you do that? Say yes. <laughs> Thank you. So we take, we take six months. It's going to take longer. But for argument's sake and illustration's sake, let's say for six months, I pour into Penny. At the end of six months, now, during the six months, we're starting to pray for your family. We're starting to pray for that Rahab. We're starting to pray for that one who Jesus will lead you to. Because when we're done, you're going to find somebody else, and I'm going to find somebody else. Why? Because this is about reproduction, and it's about be fruitful and multiply. So in six months, we have gone from one to Thank you. And six months later, go win somebody to Jesus. Grab him and pull him out. Right now. And I'm going to grab him and pull him out. In one year, we've gone from one person to four people. And now I'm pouring into him and she's pouring into him and, and, and with the intent that they're going to pour themselves into somebody else, right? Let's go find a disciple. Come on, let's grab somebody real quick. No, that's mine. Hallelujah. <laughs> I wanted to win the long-haired dude. <laughs> so in 18 months, we've gone from one to how many? Eight. In two years, we go from eight to 16. In two and a half years, we go to 32. In three years, we go to 64. How many of your churches would be changing your community if there were 64 not Christians who are religious on Sunday morning, but disciples who are who are actively looking for somebody to lead to Jesus and make a disciple? Obedient, obedient people. How many of you, your, your community would be changed if you had 64 people like that? Okay? You can you can be seated, guys. Let's 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 just finish this thing out. Let's say we go. Now we've got three years, 64 people. Three and a half years, 128. Four years, 256. 
That's bigger than most of your villages. Five years, we go from 256 to 512 to 1,024 in five years. 1,024 in five years. Am I blowing your mind? Am I losing you in the math? We're just going from 1 to 2, 2 to 4, 4 to, six, four, 4 to 8, 8 to 16. Five years, we have 1,024. Let's go out. Let's go to 6, 7, 8, 9. Let's go to 16 and a half years. Jimmy, 16 and a half years. How many people do we have? Wild guess. How many? No, 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 no. 32,000. No, 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 no. Way too small. Way too small. Huh? 100,000? Way too small. Seven and a half million natives. We have won every native in the world in 16 and a half, in North America in 16 and a half years. Seven and a half million. No. Way too small. We don't have seven and a half million. We don't have 10 million. We don't have 100 million. We don't have 500 million. We don't have a billion or two billion or five billion. We have 7.5. Five, B-I-L-L-I-O-N. We have won the whole world to Jesus in 16 and a half years. Why? Because one became two, two became four, four became eight. And we got busy with what God commanded us to do in Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. And when we multiply, we win the world for Jesus. That's why the devil has done everything he can to look at you and disqualify you and say you can't do it unless you have a credential, unless you go to Bible college, unless you do this, unless you do this. Because he knows the potential within you. Because you are a disciple maker. You're a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, and the devil has ripped us off. Because he knows the power of multiplication. Oh God, help us to get back what the devil has stolen. This is so rudimentary. It's so basic that when we think about it, it's so old, it looks like bell bottoms. And we look at that and we go, but we're making disciples. No. We're filling people with knowledge. And we bring them to church on Sunday after Sunday. And we give them more knowledge. Hoping that they'll go out and they'll use what we give. But we don't know that. Because there's no relationship. Whereas in the Bible, it's not about more knowledge. It's about more obedience. He that hears these things of mine and doeth them shall be like a wise man that built his house upon the rock. Who's looking in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of that work. That man shall be justified. It's not how much you know. It's how much you obey. Uh, Wyatt? Wyatt? Jesus calling Wyatt. <laughs> 
He has a video that's in the queue. There he is. Let's give Wyatt a hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> Wyatt, you stepped out at the wrong time, brother. Hallelujah. <laughs> We've got a video, right? You have a video? I'm going to end with this video and I'm done. Because I have, hey, Penny. Stand up. Come on up here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Give her a hand. She has done today. I think I've got it. Do we, do we have a video? Were we able to get that? Let's show the video. You're wondering how. Listen. I'm, one, more, one more thing and we're done. How do you know all about this? Because Jesus spoke it to me. And I started looking and studying. And it's happening all over the world. You know the biggest, you know, you know where God is moving most in the world? India, Africa, China, Iran, Cuba. And you know what all of these places have in common? Three characteristics. There's a level of persecution. Those societies are still family oriented. And they are oral in their tradition. A level of pushback, persecution, family-oriented, oral, oral storytellers in their tradition. Man, that sounds like Native people. And I thought, if God is doing it in China, in Africa, in India, in Cuba, and Iran, among Muslim people? God can do it among Muslim people. God can do it among Native people. And they are literally seeing, I'm not kidding, hundreds of thousands of churches that are planted and millions of people coming into the kingdom. How are you guys, how are we gonna reach those seven and a half million people? Because I know that's the anointing upon you. It's not going to be by doing what we've always done. But God show us how to do what he's doing now. Amen. It's just an old thing that is so old. It's being rediscovered. And it looks like it's new. But it's not. It's really the old thing. Are we ready? Here's what's happening around the world. And pastor, I'm done. All right, let's let's watch the video. The last thing Jesus told his disciples to do was to go everywhere and teach everyone to obey everything he asked them to do. But how? How were 11 uneducated and unsophisticated Jewish men supposed to make disciples in all the different cultures and languages of the world? They had no money, no power, no organization, and no leader. And to make matters worse, they were outcasts in their own society and religion. The disciples didn't seem to have anything, and yet they changed everything. What they did have was a life-changing experience with Jesus, a willingness to simply obey the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh yes, and lots of contacts. What we call today a social network. Here's what happened. Everything started with prayer. Then came the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. 
After Pentecost, people visiting Jerusalem from faraway places went home and told their friends and family what God had done. And when those people passed on what they had experienced, the good news about Jesus spread like wildfire. Post-Pentecost social networking is how the gospel went viral. That was over 2,000 years ago. So how are we doing today? There is some good news and some not so good news. The good news, the number of Christians is increasing. The not so good news, the percentage of Christians is stuck. So what's the problem? And how can we solve it? The biggest issue seems to be that not all believers in Jesus are actually obedient followers of Jesus. The main job of being a disciple of Jesus is to make more disciples. But not many people are doing that today. In the first century, what created a spiritual revolution was disciples making disciples who made disciples. Dozens became hundreds, hundreds became thousands. And before too long, thousands had multiplied to millions. All because ordinary people simply obeyed what Jesus told them to do and taught those who responded to do the same. We think this is an idea whose time has come again. We call it Disciple Making Movements, or DMM for short. It's a movement because it can multiply naturally. So how do you start a disciple making movement? It's actually very simple. The engine is what we call a discovery Bible study. Here's how a discovery Bible study works. As God reveals a leader within a community, a disciple-making coach helps them to form a group from among their friends and family. The group starts a process of direct interaction with God's Word. The format is simple. What does the passage say? What does it mean? What will I do in response? And finally, who can I tell so another group can start? Personal discovery, immediate obedience, and consistent replication are the launching pad for new movements. Every individual has a unique circle of influence. No two are exactly alike, but everybody's circle overlaps with many others. The intersection points are where movements take off. No matter what country, language, or culture, people share what is important to them with those they care about. Normally, when we dream about the future, we want to leave behind the old and embrace the new. But perhaps as we reimagine how to complete the Great Commission, we need to go back to how it all began. The early followers of Jesus turned the world upside down through simple obedience and natural networking. We're watching the same thing happen today for a million new followers of Jesus who joined the mosaic of nations, tribes, and tongues around the throne through our DMM process. That's a lot of disciples. Over 400,000 of these are Muslims who fell in love with Jesus. We believe that this is just the start of what God wants to do through unleashing the power of disciple-making movements. As it was in the beginning, it will be until the end. Ordinary people multiplying disciples in their natural networks is God's plan to complete the Great Commission. Disciple-making movements, an idea whose time has come again. Amen? Amen? Amen. I know, I know, I know. It's a whole different paradigm. But if we continue to do what we've always done, we're always going to get what we've always had. And I don't know about you, I think God is beginning to speak to our hearts and we're looking at it and we're going, God, we're trying to melt an iceberg with a match. Amen. And there's no way we're going to melt an iceberg with a match. 
We need the power of God. We need the paradigm that Jesus gave. He left the disciples 12, 11. We know they went to 120. 3,000 were added on the day of Pentecost. Chapter 4, they went to 5,000, right? By Acts chapter 17, they had turned the world upside down. And historians say by 350 AD, there were 60 million people in the Western world, 60 million known people in the Western world. Of the 60 million, 60 million people in the known world, in the civilized world, they said 33 million of them were Christians. Constantine didn't have a choice. Christianity had so multiplied that he had to do what he did in order to survive. Because the body of Christ was obeying the scripture. I know I've taken a long time, but I believe that this is what God sent me up here to do Amen. and to say and to just make a deposit because I believe that this is what God is doing and wants to do. Not that we're doing anything sinful, but maybe, maybe God wants to give us another way. Those of you pastors that are looking and asking, how do I incorporate this into my church? Here's a good book for you to read. It's called Future Church, and it'll help you bring the two paradigms together. Stand with me. I preached a long time. I'm sorry, but I'm not. Come on, lift your hands with me all over this place. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray today that the words that were spoken would not fall on deafened ears. Our hearts, Lord God, that have been so matted down by our religious paradigms that we would not be able to receive what your word clearly says is a paradigm that we must take into consideration because it was not a suggestion to make disciples, it was a command. And so God, I pray in Jesus' name, pray this prayer with me, Jesus, help me, teach me to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We call for disciple-making movements in native land and in North America in Jesus name God have your way help us multiply help us to be fruitful for your glory for your kingdom in Jesus name now bless the food I think that's what we're doing right oh we're going to take an offering we'll bless that too hallelujah Amen. God bless you. Pastor, would you come? Thank you for being so patient with me today. Give Jesus a hand.